guys, welcome back to another episode of Jack of All Trades. Uh, Kalen here with uh, David helping me out. Um, today we're going to go over just a little bit more of like kind of the current market action. Uh, we're recording this, what are we, end of February 2021. So the past couple of weeks, you know, we've, we've had a little bit of a sell-off going on in the markets. Uh, I know David's done a bunch of research on bonds that he wants to talk about. Uh, you know, Bitcoin's kind of been selling off the past couple of weeks. So we're just, we're just going to kind of try and touch on the overall market sentiment right now because it, it seems like this is the first time in, you know, basically in the past year that we've really had any sort of quote-unquote real pullback in the markets where people are starting to ask us a lot of questions, you know, like, why aren't my longs going as far as they usually do sort of things? So. We'll just kind of go into that a little bit. Uh, so, David, you want to kick this one off? Yeah, I just want to mention, as we were talking, how I got out of my short position, freaking Bitcoin started to drop. <laughs> uh, these, these things, man. Yeah, so, so yeah, because I think both of us may have been getting questions lately. So I know a lot of people were just like buying, and buying, the, buying the dip and selling the top, like throughout a whole bull market. Sure, that works. But right now we got a situation where we're like we're pulling back hard and we might be even going sideways for a little bit. And like, uh, so like this kind of goes into the other thing I wanted to talk about today too, which is portfolio construction, right? Cause it's, it's important to have a little cash on the side. Cause, cause during this whole week, during the pullback, I, I'd actually been watching support levels and actually bought back in on some positions like Tesla and Nvidia where, where I was waiting for a pullback to get in at a better, better price. So, so yeah, I think that, 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 that part's like really important, but, um, but like the most important thing I think for people to realize is that price doesn't continually continuously go up right mm. so like you need to you need to learn to cash out uh keep some something on the side and like i i know a lot of people don't want to put the time into like figuring out the macroeconomic factors but it's really important i think even for traders right because right now you're finding it hard to to kind of get your trades going because the market's not but it's not moving in, in a momentum stage anymore right yeah, I know you and I were talking about this on the weekend. Like I was asking you about, because uh, like obviously you're just kind of teaching me a little bit about how to trade Bitcoin futures and stuff like that. But uh, I was asking you, you know, have you? I've been looking at the charts the past week, and I was like, I haven't really seen anything in Bitcoin that I want. I was like, you know, how many how many trades have you made this week? And you said you only made one trade this week so far, and usually you do quite a few. And then I said, yeah, you know, even on my my uh, normal stock trades, I only made one trade this week because that was I just didn't see anything else. Nothing was really doing what I wanted it to. So. I think that's that's kind of an important thing for people to realize too is you know you you don't have to trade every day like david and i have been doing this for years and both of us are doing completely separate things and both of us just happen to only trade once because that's all we saw right so it's it's you know the age-old thing the market you know the market gives what it gives you don't have to play everything just keep your focus down and i think uh one of the things too i want to mention for anyone that's been you know like you know investing or swing trading or just buying or day trading or like whatever you've been doing. If you, if you have kind of been starting just in the past year and you've having pretty good success, I would say now is probably a pretty good time to, you know, hopefully you've been saving some of the trades that you've been doing, but I would say go back and take a look at, you know, some of your biggest winners, some of your best movers and start to kind of dissect them a little bit more because like what you're going to find is if the markets do turn where they start selling off or going sideways, what you're going to find is probably, you know, at least half of those trades that you made, won't necessarily work out the same way. So you want to find whichever ones were the biggest movers and really just compare all the factors in between those specific trades. You know, if you got 20 or 10 trades or whatever that were huge movers compared to, you know, a half dozen or a dozen of the other ones, then take a look at those and see what the main factors are, see why they went so much further and 
try and start setting up like a really strict criteria for yourself because you're going to want to be much more choosy when you get into sideways markets or bear markets. Yeah, I, I'm going to go into explaining the bond thing because a lot of people have been hearing in the news like the bond market, the, uh, the, yield, the, the, the yields are going up, so the stock market's selling off. I actually spent like two full weeks before this happened reading into this stuff, and it turns out it's quite a bit more complicated and it's not cut and dry. Um, it is true that when yields go up, stocks technically do sell off, but there's so many other factors, and that's why it's not like so. That, but I'll go into it. But before I go into that, I, want, I just wanted to say, like, fr from an investing swing trading perspective, because I, 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 I don't like. I know there's people out there that was trading stuff like some high movers that were kind of like zero substance companies, like CCIB. There's yeah. like a SPAC, and they're gonna, you know, supposedly buy a chunk of Lucid and Lucid, like. And like the day before they announced the, the, the deal or something like that, Lucid goes out and says, yeah, our car's going to be delayed by about, about a year. So they kind of sandbag. Yeah, it's like kind of sandbag the people holding it. I'm like, it's times like this where it's like, it's really, well, for me anyway, like I want to trade quality, right? Because right. I bought NVIDIA, you know, expecting an earnings beat that it'll pop. It didn't pop. It sold off like 15% actually. But I'm not worried because you look at the fundamentals. This thing grew revenue 61% year over year. That's like mind blowing. Mm -hmm. You know, so like wherever the stock price is, that people should remember you're still buying a company. You're you're buying a productive, or hopefully a productive company that will generate revenue and grow revenue, right? So, sure, it looks bad now, but next year, six months down the line, the story can be completely different, right? Right. I remember you. You know, you we were talking about that, and you looked at it when it had the earnings after hours because it popped up a little bit and sold right off. And you were going, oh, you know, like, oh, fuck, this sucks. Yeah, what's going on? And I, I just looked at the chart and I said, I said, you know, what probably happened because for anybody who didn't see it, there was this, there was, you know, I don't know, a month or so, maybe longer of just consolidation. And then I had this breakout to the upside where it went up like, you know, 30, 40 bucks or whatever it was. And then within a week or two, it came right back down to where it started. And then I had the earnings where it popped up again. So I just, I, you know, I just told you, I said, I said, don't worry, man. I said, all that is, is all these people have been chasing everything all year. They just saw that breakout and they bought it like crazy. And then it came back down a little while later. So as soon as you got the earnings on that first push, all those guys are just trying to sell off or break even. So it's nothing bad on the company. It's just all, you know, you got to look at the way the whole market is right now. There's a lot of people just panicking because they're still buying everything that's moving. Right. Yeah. The thing is, the thing that confused me was like, okay, like I get it. You want your breakout buyer. Um, you, you're trying to like, you know, capture a little bit of the earnings, you know, the breakout, whatever. Right. But it's like, if a company says they just beat earnings by sixty-one percent, and you still sold off, like, what were you expecting? Like, they, they're, you know, they're making a spaceship or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> earnings like, never hey. made sense to me, man. Like, I don't understand how people trade earnings because I, I tried that like early on in my trading career, and I'd look because that was one of the things I do is I'd look through news in the morning. I'd look and be like, oh, this company reported earnings that was like, you know, insane. They thought it was going to be, you know, X amount, and it was four times that, and everything's better and the revenue's better and i'd be like oh perfect i'd buy the thing and it would tank 10 percent right off the open i'm like what the hell is this <laughs> this doesn't make any sense and then other companies and then i've seen other times where it's like you know the company's expected earnings are this and then they're bad but they're or no they, they expect the earnings to go down and then the earnings do go down but not down quite as far as everybody yeah, thought yeah, they were yeah. going to and then it, it goes to the moon right <laughs> It's like, yeah, we're still doing worse as a company, but we're not doing as bad as everyone thought we were doing. So the stock goes to the roof. So yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. Like the stock market, like because a lot of people point at a company like it doesn't make sense fundamentally. I'm like, yeah, but the stock market really doesn't trade on fundamentals. No, 
No. I was listening to a whole thing on some guy, you know, the theory of the efficient market saying, you know, markets oh, are efficient, meaning, you know, in, in short, basically, whatever the price is, that's the value of the company and it's fair and it's just. But I mean, you know, like you look at GME, CCIV, like you were talking about. I mean, like, come on, that's that's not an efficient market at all. Markets are inefficient. So just because a stock is trading at a certain price, that is essentially completely irrelevant to what the company might actually be worth. Yeah, there's a lot of old like economists that are hanging on to that that stupid idea that like any in, any inefficiency the market would destroy and like that whatever its price in the market is the its real price. Like, get the hell out of here! No, not even close. Any anybody, <laughs> any beginner who's looked at the markets for two months can tell you that's not true. <laughs> I know, because like how 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 long have people been screaming at a stock like Tesla going, "It's overvalued, it's overvalued, the fundamentals don't match." I'm like, if it's been overvalued for twelve years, maybe you're the one that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? You know, undervalued, overvalued. It's like at the end of the day, it's whatever whatever people think it is, whatever the market action is, and then if you get enough volume, it just becomes a pattern play, and the company's irrelevant, right? Yeah, exactly. I think I, I forgot who said it, but it's like stocks are more like stories. Like people are treating them like stories. If you believe in the story, you believe in the narrative, and that kind of like you know, price like, is where it is. And buy the rumor, sell the news. That's the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you create this narrative, like, you know, oh, Ford's a dying company, but even though fundamentals are there, you could probably just see the stock price start ticking down if people believe yeah. it. Well, you got to right? figure, too, like 90% of people that are, well, I don't want to say 90%, but a lot of people that are that are trading, I mean, you know, most people don't do research. Like, all they do is look at the title of an article and say, oh, you know, Ford is going to be wor worthless in 20 years because of this reason. And they go, oh, shit, let's sell our Ford. You know, they don't, don't do any research. They don't know anything about the company to begin with. They just know that it's Ford. So, okay, Ford is safe. Let's put our money yeah. there. Yeah, I, uh, like, I don't know if it's gotten worse or we're just paying attention now, but it seems like the media is so biased with their articles. Yeah. I think I was talking to you earlier in the week. Like, Edmonds came out with this article. Um, they're, they're ranking EVs, and they are saying uh, the headline was Tesla's batteries aren't nearly as good as you think they are. Like, they don't have the range. And then you yeah. see, like, Tesla kind of rank – like Tesla's batteries are supposed to be the top, but yet their range, their, their tested range was somewhere like just kind of the middle of the middle of the pack. Okay. And they basically saying like the cars are saying are supposed to go 300 miles, end up doing like 250, something like that. But like even like a glance at that chart, you, you should, most people should be like scratching their heads going, okay, well, if the range is like, you know, 20% or so less than it should be, how come the output is exactly what it's supposed to be? Like if a, if a, if a battery is giving you the exact output you're expecting, Mm. given a the capacity then how could it range be lower right. right and then meanwhile the top winner was the porsche taycan that had a um advertised range of something like 300 but it drove like 400 so it did like 20 percent longer but it had the exact same power output as the model 3 that apparently tanked that test That's, so it's like doesn't make right? sense no it's like <laughs> mathematically how is that possible right and then you read in in like a little how they did the test it's like yeah, so we don't have, so they don't, they didn't use a single track to test the cars. Each car was driven on a different uh, route. So you can't oh, even, so yeah. it's not even like, a, so it's not a standardized test. And yeah, they uh, give you the stopping, starting, how windy is it? How many hills is there? Like, yeah, they don't tell you if it's a mix of highway or dry, or highway or street or, or what mix of the highway and street is. And they don't tell you the temperature of the day because these are batteries. So the temperature actually matters now, right? Right. So I think I, I think their not numbers are correct, but the way they drove the tet, the the cars under which condi on what, what conditions they drove the cars are just like really skewed. Yeah, I, I, 
Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to finish up by saying, then you look at who funds Edmonds, and it's like old car companies, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I got into looking at all that stuff, actually. Like when, I, like when I was first getting big into bodybuilding, I'd see all these like test things. I'd be like, you know, can't think of anything specific, but it'd be like, you know, you got, if you eat an orange before your workout, you know, you're, you're going to be 10% stronger, or like something arbitrary like that. And I'd be like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I kind of just read the headlines for a while, and I start eating oranges before my workout, and I don't notice any difference. And then I, after a while, you know, I go back and read the article, and it'll say something, you know, ridiculous, like, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's before you run, like, a marathon, and it only worked on, you know, males between the ages of 30 and 40 who had never worked out before in their life. And it's like, well, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I remember reading was there's probably, like, dozens of these where it's, like, they'll do, like, some 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 university guys that have nothing to do with actual like strength training would do like a test and be like, yeah, in not in, in non-strength trained athletes, if you do this and that, they'll get like a 30% increase. And you're like, first of all, your sample size is like eight people. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. How, how does that even apply? Like, yeah. Eight, eight college kids are out drinking every night. and <laughs> Yeah. It's just like, yeah, they lost weight while you told them to clean up their diet for three weeks. You, you, didn't have to do a damn thing after that that would have you know lost some weight. Yeah, like, exactly. That was why, like, oh, what was that document? I'm just I'm going on a tangent here. It was yeah. Was that one? Do- there's one documentary on Netflix. I think it was it was all about like how being vegan is is the best thing ever or something like oh. that. And it was it drove me insane because every single person in that documentary, like one guy was like, yeah, you know, I was like I was three months away from dying and my blood pressure was this and that, and then like you know I cut out all meats and I went vegan and like now I'm super healthy and everything's good. And then like, you know, it kind of goes on through the documentary and later on he's like, yeah, you know, like I, I used to have two Red Bulls every morning when I woke up and a box of donuts for breakfast. And I'm like, and then he's like, I'd go to, I'd go to McDonald's every day for lunch. I'm like, Oh my God, that's not because of the meat. You idiots. <laughs> like yeah. someone, and there'd be another one where he'd be like, yeah, you know, like ever since I cut out meat and, and, and like everything's just so much better. All I'm eating is plants. And then, you find out she's like, yeah, I had like four large double-double coffees when I woke up. And then like for lunch, I'd have a bag of chips and like, you know, a, a sandwich. And then for dinner, I'd usually just have like, you know, a cake or something like that. But ever since I cut out meat and went vegan, everything's so much better. I'm like, I'm, I, I couldn't even finish the thing. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. I know. I, I actually I actually refused to watch that thing, but people kept sending it to me because they know it worked out, right? Oh. And the, the, the one clip I did watch was they interviewed, I, you probably remember because you watched the interview, like a, um, what do you call it, a power, uh, a strongman athlete? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I'm a hardcore strongman uh, watcher, right? And I know that guy they interviewed. He's not an international anything. He can't even get his pro card. He's like the top five in California, first yeah. of all, right? And then, and then he was like saying, he made a stupid, absurd comment, like, if you want, you know, everybody says they want to be strong like bull. Well, bulls eat grass or whatever. And I'm like, well, <laughs> bulls also have four different stomachs that they could digest that shit. We have one. They're not biologically the same. I know. It's like, yeah, it's ridiculous. So, well, yeah, a little bit of a tangent there. But that's that's kind of the idea behind it is you got to, you know, you got to look at the, look, read between the lines and don't just read the headlines to get your information. Yeah. Well, look at the source. Cause, so apparently the conspiracy theory about that is it's like produced by James Cameron, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and the thing was, apparently he had, he had just bought, uh, either as a part owner or as like a full owner of a company that made vegan protein. Yeah. And then he came yeah. out with that thing. So it's like, Hmm. 
Yeah, I know. I know. Like, I, I, I couldn't even make it through the whole thing, man. And then, like, the worst part was I had people, like, I had people in my family, because, like, same thing as you, they know I work out and stuff. And, like, yeah, did you see that documentary? Like, yeah, did you see the different, like, in the different, uh, you know, stuff in these guys' blood? Like, this and that? Like, yeah, did you see, like, how much better his cholesterol was? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, he was eating KFC every day. He was having six Red Bulls a day. He was having a box of donuts every day. And then he went completely to eating whole, only healthy stuff and vegetables. Like, obviously, there was an improvement. There's <laughs> nothing yeah. to do with the meats. No, not at all. Not at all. But, uh, but yeah, back on a topic, I because I, I know you wanted to talk about, like, the bonds and stuff. So I'm, trying to, I'm still yeah, trying to figure it out. About I, I know, like, a little bit about it, but, I, like, I'm curious to see what your research. Yeah, so what I found out was the bond market is actually almost – what's well, 50 percent to 75 percent the size of the stock market so like okay. that's where the real money is because so so bonds are, are what's called fixed income um assets right so stocks are risk assets is risk and then fixed income because um the coupon the bond will tell you exactly how much you're going to get so it's like it's fixed right it's not a variable and then so like what that means is when you have uh giant mutual funds pensions sovereign funds these things that you know, where you have a large pool of government employees, you got to secure their future, their retirement. So rather than putting in a lot of that money into risk uh, assets like uh, like equities, you're going to put it into bonds because, you know, because you're going to that thing presumably is going to go on forever. Right. right. And so you need to be able to fund it in a way that kind of at least not not grow, grow it, but so but but design it so that it doesn't lose money in terms of inflation. So then that's why you buy bonds. Right. Hmm. Um, so, so that's why that market is so much bigger than the stock market. Um, but a lot of what I figured out, so, so what, so the thing about uh, the interest on bonds is that the interest is actually fixed. It doesn't move. So this right. is the weird thing. So like, let's say you got a 10 year bond and you say right now the interest is like 1.5 or whatever it is. The interest is actually not the thing that's not moving. It, it's not the thing that's moving. It's the price of the bond that's moving. So I'll give you an example. So like if the fed sells, um, a $1,000 bond, 10 years, gives you a 2% interest and you buy it, okay, you hold on to that bond, you're going to collect 2% interest on it, right? But what happens is the price of the bond will change. So let's say you want to sell it to somebody, somebody buys it for you from you for like $1,000 or $1,100. Hmm. So, so that actually takes a percentage off the, the yield, so based on what you're paying for it. So if you bought that same $1,000 bond for $1,100, then that interest rate falls to 1%. Okay. Right. right. So what so what happened recently, the bonds were flat or negative was that people were buying the bonds for more than the worth, the face value of what it's worth. Mm. Right. And so I think. Yeah. So when, so when you buy those bonds, then like if you because you're obviously not getting that interest until the end. Right. Like I, I, I had a handful of bonds that like, you know, my relatives gave me when I was in elementary school, like hundred dollar bonds or whatever. I'm actually just collecting some of them now because they're like 20 year bonds. <laughs> but like yeah. you, can't, you can't collect any of the any of the interest on them until they actually mature right so you're you're basically just trading it like a stock then you're just trading the price of the asset yeah so there's like actual like a lot of bond traders out there though and their and their portfolios are huge they're all in the trillions and they'll just trade these 10 years 20 years 30 years back and forth depending on how the economic conditions are right and but so what i've been reading and the thing is like the biggest bondholders of, of the u.s are foreign countries so Japan holds the most, I think. Uh, Russia used to hold a bunch. China holds a lot, and then the list goes down. But like, but they so they're usually the ones that are buying these bonds, um, just just to kind of like hedge their their own economic condition, right? Because you want to kind of hold 
you want to hold U.S. dollars, but not dollars. You want to hold some yield with that, too, because, you know, every time the U.S. prints money, you get inflation. Right. So but I think what's been happening is that foreign countries are um, hesitant to buy uh, U.S. bonds now because they just keep printing that money like it's just nonstop. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is if foreign sovereign countries are no longer buying the bonds, then it's up to the capital markets to buy the bonds, private entities. Right. Um, and so what's been happening is that even the private entities aren't buying the bonds anymore because they're like, this is like, this is dog shit, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so apparently what's been, so there, apparently there's these guys called the bond vigilantes. It's a myth. It's an urban myth. But what happens is apparently they show, they show up whenever the, 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 uh, the Fed isn't doing what they're, they're supposed to or isn't playing by the rules. So then they stop buying the bonds or they start selling bonds, which is, so that, and it jacks up the, um, the interest rates. Okay. And so, so right now there's a, there's what's happening. It's a, it's a little bit of like a chicken between these bond vigilantes and the fed and the bond vigilantes keep selling bonds and keep raising interest rates. And they're like saying, telling the fed, we're not going to buy this dog shit anymore. We're going to make you buy it. Because mm. the so, only way. So the they're, they're selling. So they're, sorry. So they're selling, selling the bonds and causing the interest rates to go up. It's like a thousand dollar bond, like for a 10 year bond, 2%. Now it's only, you know, 800 bucks and it's two and a half percent or something like that. Yeah. So Sam, if you could pull up my screen, I'll show you, uh, this is just like, um, the seven year bond. This is very recent. So this actually happened on uh, Thursday, the fed released some seven year notes and it was undersubscribed. So the, 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 this is the demand for it. So the demand actually sells. So people refuse to buy it at that price. So okay. people are refusing to buy. And so that's why, so they're not buying. And then, so you see the yield go up. Right. Okay. And so what, and so what's happening is that no one wants to buy the bonds anymore because they're, they're A, they're afraid of inflation and B, that um, the, the, the Fed won't stop printing money. Right. right? So because if you think about it, it's like you're, if you're buying a bond, you're basically buying a debt. So I'm buying your debt, right? And mm -hmm. you get a credit for it. But then if you go and turn around and just go to the backyard, print out, print out some more money, pay me back what you owe me with newly created money, you just devalued what, I, what you owe me. Right. And so that's why a lot of people aren't buying bonds anymore. So then now what they're doing is they're looking at the Fed going, oh, we're not going to buy. Okay. And then we're going to like tank the stock market at, as this happens. And then we're going to wait to see, to make you buy it because we're not holding your shit anymore. But on the flip side of that though, like if you were, if you were a foreign country then, and you're not like as affected by us inflation, then if the bond, you know, if the bonds drop way, way down and, and the, uh, you know, the interest prices, the yields go up on them then couldn't you just load up on bonds, get really, really good yield prices, and then hold those for 10 years, make all that money? You could, but so that, so that leads into the second issue with it, which is geopolitics, which is um, the world is in a place right now where, so the US dollar as a reserve has been declining for like two decades now. It used to be like 80% of the world's reserve. Now it's barely the 60% level. And then you see countries like Russia that just completely went off the U.S. Uh, reserve standard. So now, so so Russia actually su supplies like most of Europe's gas and fuel uh, oil needs, and they used to transact in USD, but now they transact in euros. And even okay. and even to some extent, they're 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 trading in gold now because they're taking those euros and they're buying gold with it. Hmm. And then China used to hold a lot of USD, but what they're doing is they've seen what the U.S. has been doing with the USD, so they're starting to unload. But they're doing it really really smart. See, what they're doing is they're taking their stockpile of U.S. dollars and they're investing it into Africa. 
So they know this money's worthless, but they're trying to still extract some value out of it. So they're, that's why they're giving so much loans to Africa. So they're giving this dog shit money that's losing value to Africa and say, hey, you go build your infrastructure and then you get pay me back in like another dog in, in, in another currency. Oh, okay. Huh. So so like so basically the entire world's kind of ganging ganging up on the US right now and saying, We don't like your dollar anymore. We don't want want to hold yeah. it. I mean, like, you know, forever. That's that's just been such a big problem, right? Is that you have one country who's to a certain degree and a fairly large degree influencing and dictating the whole rest of the world right like it's it doesn't really make sense <laughs> yeah so i have actually so this is a really funny thing that i just uh i heard the other day which actually makes a lot of sense to me i don't have you ever heard of the term uh petrodollar petro no so back in right after world war uh two the winners britain us uh they all got together and started this monetary system called Bretton woods Right? Because the first two world wars started because of what, what's happening right now, where it's fiat currency is not tethered to gold. So it's just it's called free floating fiat. So they just they're just floating in terms of value, just trading against each other in the market. And the marketplace kind of dictates the value. And then that's what leads to war, because if it's not tethered to gold, then all these countries are just printing money. And it's just kind of like a race to the bottom in terms of inflation. Mm -hmm. Right. So when Bretton Woods came out, the deal was this. The U.S. dollar would, would be tethered to gold at $35 an ounce, I think, or was it 24 They changed it, but let's just say $35 an ounce. Okay. And then the rest of the world would trade against the U.S. dollar, right? And then, and then when that happened, 1945 to 1971-ish was like the golden era of the United States in terms of the world, actually, because monetary systems made sense. Mm -hmm. But what the U.S. did was they still kept printing money. And then to the point where in 19, I want to say 70 something, or was it 80, 1970 something, I think they went off the gold standard. So they said, uh, at one point, it's like, they're like saying, um, so we're not going to be tethered, tethering our money to gold anymore. And then right after that, that's when the petrol dollar started. So what the U.S. did was in the 1970s, they, this was, so this was, so this was back when they had a the CIA had a lot of, um, activity in the Middle East because the U.S. is trying to secure oil deals. So OPEC, they're the, they're the conglomerate that, su that supplies oil. What the U.S. did was they made a deal with them. They said, you're not allowed to sell oil to anybody unless they buy it with U.S. dollars. So that's where the, the, the term petrodollars came from. The USD is the petrodollar. Right. And so if you if you think about all the little wars and skirmishes that happened in the last 50 years, it's all around the Middle East. It's all around the oil producing nations. Yeah. So what the U.S. Yeah. So what the U.S. has effectively done is basically that they're the mafia and they started a protection racket. So they're like, we're gonna we're gonna protect your supply routes, <laughs> we're gonna protect your pipelines. In return, you're gonna enforce the fact that you can only accept payment in uh, in U.S. dollars. Okay. So they basically switched from like valuing their money against gold to against oil, basically. But then yeah. controlling the oil and they weren't controlling the gold, then it basically just becomes a monopoly, essentially. Yeah, so because that's the only way they can kind of enforce demand for U.S. dollars. I mean, if you don't if you don't have to buy U.S. dollars to to get oil, then what's the use of U.S. dollars really, right? Yeah. So, so so that's what happened. So they so for, for so they're operating this protection racket for like fifty years, enforcing everybody to use uh, USD to buy oil. But the Russia just went off that. They're like, "Fuck you guys, we're gonna use euros." Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I, mean, I think a lot of that a lot of that stuff's gonna change. Like. Oh, I think pretty rapidly in like the coming years, just because of you know all these new, like Bitcoin essentially, but just just all the new you know platforms and everything like social media, just the internet, like all that. There's just so much more connectivity everywhere, and it's so much easier 
to move money around and trade currencies and all the other economies are growing so fast that it's it's just it's really just separating the US out. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think we're we're definitely in the early stages of that happening. Yeah, 100%. So that's why the US is like starting to get into a tough spot right now. And like the more I learned about this stuff, the more I realized that their policies start to make sense. Because remember I told you the other day, like part of Biden's plan, which I thought was stupid, they wanted to raise the minimum wage to like 15 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then the and then the Fed came out saying that they're targeting a 2% interest rate. So mm -hmm. separately, I didn't understand what these things meant. But once I figured out what was going on in terms of U.S. debt and bonds, uh, it started to come together. So what it basically means is like if a country like if you're a country and you owe 100 you know, $100,000 to me and a bunch of other countries, right? But we all transact in your dollars. The way you can eliminate or reduce that debt without paying it off is through inflation. Right. Because the value, because the, if you if you create more dollars and, the, and, you, and you, the, the, the dollar value of your debt stays the same, then in effect, you've just made the value of the debt smaller, right? Yeah. So that's what the Fed is doing. So because the U.S. debt is kind of like untenable right now, it's just massive gargantuan. So they're trying to inflate their way out of it right now. So if you if you raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, then and you print a whole bunch of stimulus, like they're doing the one point nine trillion now. In the summer, they're planning another three trillion. Right. So you're you're putting more supply out in the out in the open. You're you're paying people supposedly more money, and then that's more tax revenue for you, and right, supposedly right. more economic activity. Right. So they're just trying to inflate a GDP their their way out of that debt right now. Yeah. So now that hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> You go to the other country, you're, you know, it's basically becoming like 60 cents on the dollar, essentially. The, the right. That's kind of like what what, article I was reading this morning about mortgages. That's the exact same yeah. thing. I read a pretty interesting article this morning about, uh, you know, because we're just buying another house. I was reading an article that said, uh, you know, should you should you pay off your, your mortgage right away or wait? And it's like, you know, it was like the idea behind the article is that you should probably wait. And I was like, okay, well, let's take a read in this. And made a lot of sense to me because basically like, you know, I don't need to get the whole thing, but the, the thesis of the article essentially was that, you know, you're paying, so you're getting a decent, you're getting a decent interest rate and you're paying this certain interest rate, you know, every month for your say 30 year mortgage or whatever it is. But, you know, if you just have, you know, your job income and you're paying X amount into your mortgage every single month, then that amount of money that you're putting in, you're still paying all that extra interest. It's still going to take you a long time to pay it off. But if you save that money, then what happens is, you know, it's the exact same thing. Like, let's say, for example, you have a, you know, a $500,000 mortgage, then 10 years from now, that $500,000 mortgage, like obviously you'll have paid some into it, but that now let's say it's worth 800,000 because of the inflation value of houses. So now you're paying off a $500,000 mortgage on something that's worth 800,000. So you're basically paying like 60 cents to the dollar on what the actual worth is. So the inflation has benefited you in that sense. And then not to mention over that course of 10 years, inflation of your country as well, your wage is going to go up because it has to, because of the prices and you know, of everything is going to go up. So you're going to have more money coming in. And then you can also use some of that extra savings to, you know, put it in the stock market or whatever and invest in other things. And, you know, even if you put it in the ETF or your 8% per year or whatever, you know, if you're putting a decent amount of money into that and you hold that over five, 10 years, that's going to offset all the all the money that you would be paying into interest anyways. So basically, you're you're getting out of that for essentially break even or even for more of a profit if you're utilizing these other things. If you're essentially waiting, you know, instead of just paying off little chunks for 15 years, don't pay any of it until say 10 years. Use that money to invest in the stock market, save up the rest of your money, and then just pay it off all in one big lump sum at the 10 year mark. 
And now you're basically paying 60 cents on the dollar or whatever it is because of the inflation value of your house. It could be even more, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. And then you're paying off essentially, you know, half of what your mortgage is actually worth because you're getting more money from the inflation and all the extra money that you've made in other investments. You end up actually making significantly more money overall, which is, you know, kind of backwards to the way I personally always thought. But I started thinking about it and doing more research. And then, you know, you think about someone like businesses do that all the time or like, you know, Donald Trump, like he's probably the prime example. But I mean, yeah. think, think about anyone, right? You know, like, you know, if, if someone gave me, you know, half million dollars right now to invest in stocks, like I could I could make that half million back and probably relatively quickly. And then I could pay that loan off. And then I still have a half million dollars where if I just have, you know, my own, say, five thousand dollars to try and get to half a million from five thousand dollars is going to take me a really long time. Whereas if I borrow half a million dollars and then trade my way up, I can pay that debt off quite quickly. And then I could still have that original half million in the bank. Right. So it's just kind of like obviously there's the risk that, you know, if you're investing something, you could lose it. But I mean, as long as you're you know, you're doing everything properly, that's 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 the way a lot of businesses make their money. I mean, you know, you get loans and. You just work off those loans and then pay them back. And that's that's how you can grow a lot quicker. And it's it's the same idea with the mortgage. I just never thought of it that way. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I find now that the older I get, the more I know, like the only way you're going to lose is if actually if you actually play by the book, if you play by the rules. <laughs> right. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Like if you start if you start thinking about things like kind of outside the box and you kind of really understand how the inner workings of stuff in the background, like financial engineering, you're like, holy shit, like playing by the rules is actually the most inefficient way to do this. It is, yeah. Like that's what I'm thinking. So I'm like, you know, if I if I just pay a little bit into it, it's gonna take this long. But if I if I save that money and I invest it, I can turn it into more money way faster and then still pay that off and still have a whole bunch of extra money in the bank. Like it's 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 just a no brainer, but like nobody ever teaches you this stuff, right? You know, it's not like, like we don't take any of this stuff at school. I know in, in uh, I think in the States they have like, uh, you know, they do like stock market classes, I think to a certain degree, but like in Canada, we don't have any of that. So like, I didn't even know what the markets really were until I was like in my twenties basically. And like outside of that, you know, you just learn how to do everything. I'm just reading random articles and you know, everything you're, everything you're reading is like, oh, all you want to do is, you know, work, save up, buy a house and then just work, you know, just work on paying your mortgage off as quick as possible. And then you can start investing and doing all this other stuff, but it's completely backwards. You, like you want to save up and get a house, but then you want to start investing as quick as possible and then pay off the mortgage because <laughs> you're going to make more yeah. money that way. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Like, I, I, I wonder why, I wonder if that's why they don't teach it in school because they kind of re require us to be morons and just play by the rules so other people can make money. Yeah. I think it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say this without sounding insulting and I hope it doesn't, but I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people just really don't have the care or like the effort to want to learn any of this stuff. And like, it's a lot easier for banks and governments just to say like, you know, if you want to be at financial freedom, I mean, for the average Joe, you know, just pay your mortgage, save up, pay your mortgage off. And that way, by the time you're, you know, 40 or whatever, you have no debts and then you can work for another 10 years or 15 years and then you're retired and you're good and you don't have anything to worry about where you know but like so if they don't say that then some people could end up screwing themselves because they just blow all their money and by the time they're 50 it's like oh shit i still have a huge mortgage and i gotta retire soon whereas like there's a smaller group of people i think who actually want to do all this stuff but it's just it's just not worth the effort to try and teach that on a mass scale because 
so many people aren't going to stand it, aren't going to understand it. Sorry, and a lot of people just won't really care to to put in the effort to do that. I hope it doesn't sound harsh or anything. I just think that's the reality of society. <laughs> no, man, I, I can. I don't. I, if people take offense to it. It's only because they know it's true. I think. Yeah. Well, it's like the, the biggest example that I always, I think I've probably said this on the show, but like, you know, at my old job, when I was a, an engineer, I was out on construction sites and stuff all the time. And like, I don't know why I always remember this so like clearly. It's just like, it's like just the definition of that type of mentality where like, there's this guy on site, he's a construction worker. So, you know, he's making like 80, a hundred thousand bucks a year, 40 bucks an hour, whatever is he's making decent money. And like, he was like complaining. Cause he's like, Oh, you know, I got like, you know, I got these bills to pay and this and like, I don't have any money and like, I can't do this. And like, I want to go on holidays. And he was just complaining all day. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I'm not really thinking anything of it. And then his boss comes over and he's like, Hey, you know, we're thinking about working this Saturday. So you get overtime pay. And you know, uh, so anybody that wants to come in, let me know. And he asked the guy, he's like, Hey, do you want to come in this Saturday and work? He's like, I'm not working on a Saturday. Are you kidding me? <laughs> in my head, I'm just like, so like you're standing here complaining that you don't have any money. Some guy comes over and says, Hey, you can work this weekend get one and a half times your average wage, get you more money to solve all your problems. And you're, you're getting upset with him saying, I don't want to work. Like, like I, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, there was, so that reminds me of the study I read a long time ago. It's actually a pretty famous study. Um, they were studying children and trying to see what characteristics could translate into uh, success later in life. And so what they did was they, they took these children and they're like, and they gave them an option. It's like, um, and it's a really simple test. Like, you can have one lollipop right now, or if you're willing to wait an hour, we'll give you two. And they found that the children who are willing to wait the two hours or the hour to get the two lollipops were more successful in life because they understood the meaning of um, putting aside your wants now for a bigger return later. Right. right. And so it's like yeah. the short-term thinking mentality. <clears throat> yeah, it's funny. I was actually talking to my wife about that a little bit today, just on like, you know, we were just talking about like some people we know and stuff like that. And like even even like older people that I've known, like growing up, you know, like at uh, different places I've worked, I, you know, you see two people that are the same age and they're making the same money for the same amount of time and their lifestyles are just so vastly different. It's just like it's all just money management. And, you know, what like what are they thinking? You know, like, oh, OK, I got this paycheck like now, you know, now I can go out and buy this you know, dirt bike right now or whatever. Or it's like, you know, you could that into an account for a year and you could turn it into three dirt bikes pretty quickly <laughs> you know it's just like just that whole that whole way of thinking is is i think a lot more common which is i don't want to say unfortunate but i think it's just kind of the way that a lot of people think is you know everybody wants stuff now 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 and like I guess, I guess you could argue that i'm like that to a certain degree because i have i have a lot of problems you know long-term investing like i don't i don't i don't really do it right and like i you know i i I can't hold stuff like even that Bitcoin trade I did the other day, you know, like I just started trading. So I had like, I had, I, you know, I'm like, guys, like I'm trading super small. Like I was saying to David, you know, I'm just learning how to trade Bitcoin. So like I had two trades that I made like over the last week where I lost like a buck 50. And then I had this other trade where I got into and like I was looking at the one hour chart because that's where the pattern set up. And then all of a sudden I just wound up looking at the three minute chart. And then on the three minute chart, I saw a reversal. So I covered it and I made like 10 bucks. So I'm up like six bucks overall on Bitcoin. But like, you know, like my patience sucks when it comes to trading because I'm I'm so used to doing the short term stuff. But like the argument that I have against that just for myself is that, you know, I've been working four years, not making any money to get to this point. Right. So it's like it's a long term investment in myself and studying and training and, you know, putting money into books and all these kinds of things that I've spent money on and the time I've put into this. 
to be able to do that really quick trade, right? So it's it's yeah. still a long-term thing, even though even though the actual outcome and the money is really quick, you know, five minutes or whatever, it's taken literally years and, and probably hundreds and hundreds of hours to get to that point. Yeah, because you it's like the, the trading isn't the, the real investment. The, invest, the real investment that happened was you putting the time and money into yourself into growing your knowledge base and skills, right? And yeah. Then, exactly. And then now it's just paying off. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to a, a podcast with a guy who follows a day trader. And I remember he was like, he's just like all these different stages. He's like, first it started out like, oh, you're a day trader. Oh, did you lose all your money today? No, you lose all your money tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, oh, you didn't lose your money today. You'll lose your money next week. And it's like, oh, you actually made money this month. Don't worry. You'll lose your money next month. And then he makes money for a year. And it's like, oh, you, you made money this year. Yeah. It was a good year in the market. You'll lose your money next year. And then all of a sudden he quits his job and it's like, oh, you're an idiot. Like, why would you quit your job? And then, you know, years down the road now, it's just like, he goes out with his friends and he's like, like, oh yeah, don't worry, he'll pay for it. You know, like he makes a thousand dollars in ten seconds. <laughs> get him to pay for all the drinks. It comes easy to him. Like, who cares? Like, get him to pay for it. You know, let's go on holidays. Get him to pay for it. He'll pay for the holiday while we're on the holiday. <laughs> you know, like, but it's like he's like, I've been working twenty years to be able to make that kind of money in ten minutes. Yeah, it's hilarious how that works out. Yeah. Um, I, I I gotta. I think I'm gonna pull up another chart just uh, just to show. I, I sent you. I sent this to you the other day. I don't know why it's not open with paint. Uh, come on. Oops. There you go. Oh, that's ugly. Well, hopefully you guys can see it. Um, oh, that's the bull market versus the bear market lengths? Yeah. So here we go. Because <coughs> uh, we had like that. Yeah, I had a lot of people this week kind of freaking out and thinking like, oh, you know, I guess they're questioning their head like, okay, what happens if the ride is to a bear market? But mm -hmm. I'm like, Technically speaking, like the bear markets are all relatively short. Um, the bull markets are quite long. The gains are quite huge, like spectacular. Um, like this one's like what, 500% increase. The last, the most recent one we had was 300% increase from the last, from the, what was it, what, the 08 crash? Like, I mean, these are, these are pretty good numbers. Um, so like you can definitely write out uh, a, a bear market. Mm -hmm. They're not really not anything to be scared. Like I, I did the other, I don't know if I saved it. I did um, a whole bunch of analysis on my own charts the other day. Uh, let's see, I don't have it here, but so I did a whole bunch of analysis on my own charts the other day, and I'm showing you some of that to you where it's like it was the S&P 500 for the last 120 years, mm -hmm. and like the biggest crashes was like the the famous the Great Depression crash, late 1920s. That was like an 84 percent dip. And then the second one was was in the 70s. Um, that was like a 50 something percent dip, and that's exactly what we're talking about. That's when the um, they, they had it was called the energy crisis. So there was a, there was a shortage of oil, and plus the U.S. dollar was just um, being completely devalued by how much money printing they were. Yeah. There was, and so they, they got off the gold standards, like a whole bunch of stuff. So the stock market crashed then. And the only two recently that we that was big was the dot com bubble and the financial crisis. Yeah. Um, and, but but so what I gathered from those two things was like basically the stock market the worst crashes happen due to you know black swan events so stuff that we can't see coming it just kind of like sideswipes us mm -hmm. so that's why I'm not too worried about this bond thing because not only do we see it coming it's like being talked about every day and because of the internet basically everybody kind of knows how it works and so like it may take the it may take the market a little bit, but I think it's not a big deal because everybody kind of knows not only that is it coming, but the Fed everybody knows what to do to kind of avoid it. So mm -hmm. like it just goes back to this thing. It's like, well, is the Fed going to cave and uh, and like start buying the bonds? So yeah. like 
because I don't know if you watch the news, but they're talking about this thing called yield curve control. I, I don't know why it's come up recently because the Fed has only ever done it once, and that was um, the 1940s after World War II. So yield curve control is basically when the Fed starts buying uh, short-term bonds. And so that's that's what I was talking about earlier. That's what the, the, the vigilantes are trying to force the Fed to do is to buy the short-term bonds. Right. So I don't know if they're going to do that because the, the Fed doesn't want to do that because what happens is um, they're putting – actually, I, I should I want this to, to tell this the other day. But So actually, there's actually two kinds of money. I didn't know this. There's something called base money and something called broad money. Um, base money is basically – generally only circulated within the central banks and the commercial banks. Broad money is what me and you have. Right. And so so what, what happened in 2008 when the Fed, they did quantitative easing, they printed all this money, people were like, well, how come there was no inflation? Well, it's because what the Fed did was they created base money, and that money never reached us. They created base money, gave it to the banks, bought up a bunch of their debt, bought up a bunch of their bonds, and the, and the money stayed within the banks. So never, it never uh, seeped out into the greater public. Right. And so what happens is when the treasury issues uh, bonds, if, if the public markets buy it, capital markets buy it, it's one for one, right? We're taking broad money to buy this debt. It's still like credit and debt, but it's still one to one. But what happens when the, when the Fed buys bonds is that that money is actually not one to one. It's not created as debt. It's actually bought by real dollars that end up into the economy. And okay. so that's why the Fed that's why the Fed doesn't want to do that because that will actually dilute the money supply. That's what's gonna actually cause a lot of um unnecessary inflation. Right, right. Or, or devaluing the currency. So so that's why the Fed doesn't want to do that. They don't they don't ever want us to have base money. Hmm. It's really it's a really crazy thing that's that's happening. Like like I'm still trying to get, grab, grasp it myself. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's all stuff that I'm still learning too, because like obviously I've only really been doing this for like four years and most of my focus hasn't been on the big, like the larger term scheme of things, right? So <clears throat> this is all kind of new to me as well. But I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, even just thinking, you know, like just how the markets are going to react in general if we do start getting, you know, well, I would say, well, you know, if, but when we do start getting the next bull market or bear market, sorry, because we have so many more like retail investors, like guys like you and me, and just the access to information is absolutely instantaneous and worldwide. Like even if you look at 2008, I mean, you know, like neither of us could have gotten half the information we can get now in 2008. It was, it was completely different world. Right. So all that stuff is going to be a lot more available and it'll, it'll be, I'm, I'm really curious to see how, how it actually plays out, like whether it'll slow the descent or whether it will be a lot, a lot quicker and sharper and then just stop or, you know, like it's, it's going to be interesting because it really is yeah. a different world. Cause there was no Robin hood or any of the zero fee trading. Either. No, pretty. Yeah. And like even the guys that were like retail traders, it was really like kind of a smaller community, right? Like there wasn't all the platforms, like there was very few brokers, like a lot of people couldn't even trade in their countries. Like it was, you know, it's not that long ago, but, but as far as the markets and availability and the volume of money that's coming from retail and it's, it's completely different. Like I would, I'd be really interested to see what happens. I almost kind of feel like it would be something like we had, you know, March of 2020, where it's just, everybody gets the information so much quicker and, I bet you there's a lot more people that are trying to manage their own their own portfolios now because they have such easy access to all this stuff. Maybe they all just sell everything off really quick, and instead of you know like 2008 where you get this like just slow bleed off for like years, maybe it's just like a really quick you know bam straight down, and then and then it just starts up again nice and slow, right? Which could be 
more beneficial because you get into your positions quick and then we're back in a bull market, right? Who knows? Yeah. I definitely think speed's going to happen. So maybe we'll go deeper and higher and or go deeper faster and rebound faster. It just kind of like does that for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe we get stuck in like kind of a channel, but it's like pretty dramatic moves in that channel for a while or, <laughs> yeah. or, just, or we just tank really, really fast and then just like start up. A, you know, it's maybe it's like a, a four or five month uh, bear market and then we just get right back into grinding our way back up. Like it'll, it'll be really interesting to see because this is literally the first time in history that, that that's going to happen with the type of availability and traders in the market. Right. It's never happened before. That's true. That's true. And we were talking the other day, like what our strategies would be in like let's say bear market mm -hmm. um i know i know i know so so because i learned to trade during the bear market of bitcoin they mm -hmm. so so i'm more comfortable catching knives and you're more comfortable shorting which is the polar <laughs> opposite it's, yeah. it's exactly the polar opposite right yeah so so it's like so i'm actually prepared i think i'm prepared for a bear market and did you i, I don't remember were you going to change your strategy at all yeah i think like i've never like obviously like i mean 2008 was really the last like bear market we had so I, I haven't traded like a full-on bear market before so it'll be a big learning curve for me but i mean just in you know the past couple of weeks like just seeing days where the markets are heavy i mean all i'm really seeing is that i'm just getting a lot less plays and the ones that i do see just aren't going that far because like you know a good short you need the stock to spike way up right for a short it's not like you know stuff's just going sideways and then it just sells off like that's not a that's not a good short setup people think like oh everything's going down Shorts are gonna have a great time. It's like no, like if you want to, you want a good short. You want something to go way up, and then you can short it for a big tank back down, right? But you don't get that as much in in bear markets. So it'll be a it'll be a learning curve. I mean, I I still know my patterns work. It's just probably gonna be, you know, I'm I'm gonna be getting a lot less trades, and I'm making a lot less money on each of the trades. But that's just you know that's the way it goes. I mean, that's the that's the way markets go, right? Changes all the time. Yeah, yeah, and what's funny? I actually read a. Uh, a report yesterday. There's a company called Fundstrat, and they usually have to pay for their things, their reports. But they released one because I follow one of their analysts on Twitter, and they released one uh, for free. Actually, maybe I'll send it to you later. You might be curious. But anyway, they um they're bullish about the market. They're like they're literally saying like this is a hiccup. The fundamentals are have have uh, are pretty strong, and yeah. so they had two scenarios. One was a bear market <laughs> scenario. One was a bull market scenario, and it gave you like the their, their playbook of how to do either, but they were trending, but they were, they were leaning towards saying that this is just a hiccup and the markets will continue going up. Yeah. I've, I've so. actually read quite a few articles like that. Like I read most of the consensus I've get just from different articles is that they're saying like 2021 is going to be a good year. 2022 is going to be a good year. And then a lot of them are kind of thinking like around 2023, 2024 is when they're kind of expecting things to kind of, kind of go over the hill a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's just what I've been reading. I, I, I honestly haven't read a lot of articles that, that are, you know, forecasting a big drop right now, which is weird because a lot of, you know, like the Buffett indicator and stuff like that, like there's a lot of technical indicators that people are talking about. All the technical traders are saying, you know, like, oh, things are getting overextended, this and that, but all the fundamental guys are still saying everything's strong. So they're kind of, they're kind of battling each other right now. I mean, as far as overall markets go, I would, I would listen to the fundamental guys. Perfect. Like personally, but it's because it makes yeah, so, long term. So so I, I read something the other day that kind of threw my threw my brain for a twist, but it kind of makes sense. It's like if you look at the market from the perspective that most people look at it right now is like it just went straight up, it's overbought, like it's the RSI is crazy. Like basically, you can just tell the yeah. market's like. But then it's like, but that's only true if you measure the value of the market against the dollar. 
right? So if you see Tesla, it's, well, I don't know what it is, like $700 right now, right? It's quite a bit higher than what it, what it is. Right. It's only, it's only that, it's only, it only looks expensive if you measure it to, to the dollar. But if you start measuring assets to other assets, then it starts to look normal. So let's say, because like things like the stock market, art, uh, collectibles, Bitcoin, gold, everything went up last year. The only thing that didn't go up was, was dollars, right? So if everything is measured against dollars, then yeah, it looks like everything's overvalued. But if you measure everything against each other, they kind of went up in sync. And so the, the value of things did not go up. The value of the dollar was what went down. That's a really good point, actually. I didn't think of that. Right. And, and that makes perfect sense. If, I mean, if you're going to create 26% of all U.S. dollars ever created in one single 12-month period, the mm -hmm. dollar is going to go down, right? Yeah. And so, so I was like thinking... That actually makes sense what you're saying, like this, the fundamentals say nothing's um, overvalued, but how could that be? And then you, you start looking at it from that perspective. It's like, you're right. Everything, it, everything relative to each other stayed the same. It's just a dollar that went to, to the shitter. Right. So that's why all the tacticals are saying that everything should crash, but all the fundamental guys are saying everything's still good. Yeah, because we've never had a period where actually I even had that chart uh, here. Sam, if you could pull it up. This is uh, Fred. So this is the Federal Reserve. Uh, this is the Federal Reserve. So M2 is the money supply. Okay. So if you if you look at all the currency in circulation in 2020, it looks pretty linear. Except mm -hmm. all of a sudden, 2020 just went boom. Yeah. And then if you look, you match that to the stock market. Yeah. Right. That's a good point, actually. So everything made sense. It's like the so like yes, stocks got bought up, but it got bought up with extra money that shouldn't have existed. So it's technically everything's still kind of one to one. Right. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it's crazy, right? This whole past like twelve months has just been really weird, man. <laughs> yeah, and like going into twenty one, I was like, okay, we're gonna have a recovery, but I'm kind of thinking, is twenty one gonna be crazier than twenty? Yeah. Yes. Right. I don't know because we're past the COVID stuff, but what if we have all this crazy stock market thing happening for the rest of the year? Just kind of like I know. I'd be perfect. <laughs> I'd be <fine> with that. <laughs> To the moon, man. Middle, man. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, I wanted to get into uh, portfolio construction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because how it came up was because I was kind of debating my, my old roommate the other day because we were talking about stocks and he got into it recently. He's doing quite well, and okay. uh, he's like you. He's like you. He likes um he likes dividend stocks. Okay. So he got. I think he got some Apple and Nvidia and some other things, and then and then I was like, and, and I was kind of like giving him a different perspective on how to look at portfolio construction. Um. But but again, I think it only applies if you have a certain amount of money. I think you need at least ten thousand dollars to start thinking about portfolio construction. Anything before that, like, I, in my personal opinion, if you have less than ten thousand dollars in like an investing account, if you're trying to use portfolio construction kind of hedge risk and stuff, all you're yeah. really doing is capping your your maximum gains. Um, yeah, because I, I, I didn't start even doing that until I had twenty thousand dollars because I figured there was no point. <laughs> yeah, I think I think at that point, if you have less, it's just focus on like a growth stock and just ride that thing high but like just try as as hard as you can to ride it up because you really need a sum of it's harsh to say but you really do need a, a a sum a large sum of money to play with to kind of like yeah you well know. you did the same thing right like when you first started you just what you did all your research on tesla just went all in on that and then once you once you made your money from that then you started diversifying right yeah well i started diversifying a little bit but i did ride uh apple quite a bit and then and then when i thought apple had had its run I was totally wrong about that, but when I thought Apple had its run, it went <laughs> all the way into Tesla. 
and I kind of yeah. wrote that that one up. But but yeah. yeah, I've never I've never had held more than three stocks at any given time. Usually it's just one or two, right. up until this point. Yeah. Um, but then now because I reached this point, I started thinking really deeply about portfolio construction. And then so what I told my buddy was because he was like a hundred percent in these um, slower growth, low dividend stocks. So not quite like a bank, but like an Apple or Nvidia, where you know you might get a one one percent yield, one point right. five percent yield. But, but the stock it, like six or seven percent growth on the year for the stock. Yeah, so it's a it's, it's so it's a nice safe thing. And I was like, what you what, how you really want to think about, it, and that's not bad. But what you want to think about is taking like, say you have ten thousand dollars in your portfolio. If you take out just five hundred dollars, right? You're, it's not going to cost you that much on in terms of upside if you're holding Apple. Like taking out like what is that like 05 percent of your portfolio, you're not going to cut your you know cut your gains off of Apple, right? Right. But if you were just to take that $500 and putting it into a high risk, uh, high, high, high probability stock, like um, a Bitcoin ETF, mm -hmm. right, you might, which might do like two or three or five X, then suddenly your, 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 um, what's that term? Your, um, your, or your, oh, I'm losing my mind now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where you're going with it. Um, opportunity cost. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So, so your opportunity cost isn't that high because you're not missing that much opportunity. Then you get a lot of upside in terms of Bitcoin. Right. Right. So, and plus if Bitcoin goes to zero, you take in a half a percent or, or like 5% off your portfolio. It really doesn't, it really doesn't hurt you that much. Right. So I just wanted, there's a, so there's different ways to think about portfolio construction there. Yeah. It depends on your age group too. Like, I know like that's, that's, you know, like anytime you go into a fund or a bank or anything like that, if you're getting someone else to manage your money, then they usually get you to fill out a big form. And it's like, you know, how old are you? You know, what's your income? Like, you know, how steady is your job? Like, you know, do you have a big mortgage? Like there's all these criteria that you fill out and they basically like they'll recommend where they think you should be. But like, I mean, for the most part, like the younger you are, I mean, you're usually like 70 or 80 percent in like higher risk stuff. And then, you know, 20 or 30 and stuff like Apple, for example. And then the older you get, that balance kind of shifts, right? So like, you know, you get someone who's like in retirement, you're probably going to be like, you know, 70% in dividend stocks, you know, 20% in GICs and bonds, and then maybe like 10% in high risk stocks or something like that, right? So it's kind of depends where you're at in your life. But it's, it's, it's like you said, I mean, like, if you are going to start putting your money in into the stock market like that, and you have a good chunk of it into a slow growth stock, then you can take little pieces like that's, that's what I was doing. I mean, I had like, I had most of my money in the slower growth stuff. And then, you know, I got a decent chunk of my money in Bitcoin. And then I have like a couple little random side stocks that are super volatile. And I just, you know, play with like a few thousand bucks on each of those. Cause you know, I, I lose a couple hundred bucks here and I get a couple hundred bucks there. And like those stocks are moving enough that I can do that in like, you know, a few days kind of thing. So yeah, that yeah. Out over, the, over the slow growth ones. Yeah, exactly. So like, so like, I, I cause I, I, I think, I don't know. I don't know if we're taught in school, but everybody seems to have the same problem or the habit that they have to beat. Where it's like we're like in this. We start off with this all-in, all-out mentality. You know, mm -hmm. The portfolio has to be one thing. Or if I buy a stock, it's only buy all or sell all. It's not you know sizing in and out and just yeah. You're like that, man. I'm trying to get you away from that. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. I, I gotta start. I'm never I gotta, like that, man. I'm like I'm like I'm like seven or eight times in, and then I'm like fifteen times out. <laughs> it's weird. It's like for my investments, I, I kind of size in and size out because I almost never position completely, right? 
It's right. just something with Bitcoin. I just want to get the hell out of there. Maybe it's because it's volatility. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's like a burglar. It's like, oh, got some winnings. I'm out. You know, just like hide. I know. It depends on the person too, right? Like it depends on the trade. Like, like for me, I just, I have such little patience that unless I take a little bit off to the point where I know that I'm break even, if the stock goes against me and hits my stop, I'll, I'll just like any little pullback, I'll just be so stressed out. I'll have to just cut the thing, right? So just, that's just me. Like, I mean, I know that's, you know, a lot of people will probably say, oh, you got to hold the whole thing because it's, you know, the pattern's perfect, but like, I won't if I don't already have some locked in to, to, to cushion myself. And like, that's the way I've always played. And I even had a, you know, I had a stock last week where I've been, well, I have a couple stocks I'm, tr I'm like swing trading right now. And one of them, I've just been like locking in little profits along the way after the, pa over the past like three months. And then I had another stock that I, I bought a bunch of and then it just, you know, it was bad and just basically tanked on me. So I sold it off and, but all the profits that I'd locked in on that other stock, just, you know, trading in and out of it while it's just doing its thing on a long-term swing has, it's basically double what I took on that loss. Whereas if I had just been in that one full size, then, you know, I would have been, I wouldn't have had any money actually locked in the bank. And then my average would have been down because, you know, it, it shoots way up and I'll, you know, I'll sell a couple hundred shares and then I'll come back down, I'll buy a couple hundred more and then it goes back up and just, you know, just keep buying and selling as it sort of moves along and you just keep locking in, you know, even if it's like 50 bucks, I lock in 50 bucks every few days, just as the thing's moving along, moving along, you do that for a few months and then all of a sudden you have a few thousand bucks locked in on the stock and then if it tanks on you, then okay, great. I got out for a $3,000 profit. <laughs> Whereas if you didn't lock anything in on the way, it's like, oh, I took a $500 loss, you know? Yeah, I'm wondering how many people like rode their stocks from the highs and just kind of riding in the red or just lost some of their profit right now. Oh, I was, I, I was talking to one of my friends. He said that he had, um, was it Sundial, one of those weed stocks? He bought it at like 70 something cents and it went up to like five bucks in a few days. And now it's, I think it's back down to like a dollar or something, but he didn't sell any of it. He's like, no, man, I'm waiting for it to get eight bucks. It's like, oh my God, dude, you had like a 600% return. And now you only have like a only quote unquote have like a fifty percent return, and you still won't sell it. Yeah, it's the smash and grab mentality. I don't know. Like I, I was telling you and Sam, like I sold some eight, so I bought it at that batch. I bought it at seventy seven cents. Yeah. So I was watching it. It went up to because because the previous all time high was a buck thirty six, and I I was talking to Sam. I didn't even look at the charts, right? I just knew that the old all time high was a buck thirty six. It had a lot of momentum on it. And I knew a buck fifty is a psychological number, yeah. so I put a sell order at a buck forty-seven and a half, something like that. And it sold a bunch last night, and it exactly they just it tanked to like a buck twenty now today. I'm just like, oh, you know, yeah, that wasn't them. even that, that wasn't even technical analysis. That's just like experience, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same way, man. Like people, like I'll, I'll, do, I'll do some of my trades, and like I'll literally like I'll top tick my shorts like to the penny. Like, how do you get, like, how did you get it that, like, how do you get it right on the penny, like, within a cent or two? I'm like, it's just like, it's a, it's a combination of just experience and intuition. Cause like, I'll see something, I'll look at it and it'll be like, you know, the line's like, the line will be like 320. And then like, maybe the BWAP line is around like $3. And like, you know, I'm looking at like the volume and stuff like that. And I'll be like, well, like 320 looks like the line, but like, oh, three, 323 just feels pretty good. I don't know why it just feels pretty good. So I'll put, I'll put orders there and then I'll get it within like a penny or two. Like a lot of the time, it's, I don't know. I don't know how it's just like one of those things, you know, once you've seen it enough times, you start to feel it. Yeah. I think that's what intuition is. I think intuition is a learned thing because me yeah. and Sam, we went to the same art school. Sam, did we go to the same program? 
We did, right? He's not there. All right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, we went to the same art school and we both learned this concept called uh, visual library, right? Because, like, okay. you, so you look at some, you know, like a really talented artist, a really experienced artist, they take a white piece of paper and just start going nuts and you start trying something amazing. You're like, how did you do that? It's because they have what's called the visual library. They spent 10, 20 years studying, which we, we, we did. We studied art that we liked, that we questioned. It's like, why does this appeal to us? Is it the symmetry? Is it a negative space? After a long time, you just have a visual library in your head. And so it's not intuition or talent at that point. So you look at a white piece of paper, you know what you want, you just make it happen. Right? right. And I think that's the same thing with our with our trading intuition. Like you, you saw the line and you're just like, I've seen this before. It's not yeah. gonna hit that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what this thing's gonna do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looks like it should do this, but I feel like it's good, it's good, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like a little bit outside of that. It's like like even the other day, like my Indus, that little weed stock I've been playing around with for like months now. It had a day like two weeks ago, it was at like it was at like two dollars and ten cents or something like that. And it was like it was like looking pretty good. And I was like, oh, cool. I was like at work. I wasn't paying attention to it or whatever. And then like looked at it after hours and it had gone all the way up to 250 and then come back down to like 210 or something like that. And I was like, shit, I should have sold some like when it did that big spike and bought in again. But then I looked back and I noticed that last time it had a big spike like that. The next day it had a pretty solid spike again. So I was like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, I don't think it's going to get to 250 again. So I was like, I'm going to put it in a cell for 245. That feels right. Like, it just feels right. So I put it in a cell for 245, and that was literally the top pick on the day. It was 245. Oh, what? That's awesome. Yeah, literally nailed it, nailed it to the penny. I'm going to guess the second day the volume wasn't like the first day. No, no. But it's still like it's all the way up. Literally hit me right at the dead top yeah. and came back down. I did the, yeah, I did the yeah. same thing on a different stock I was looking at. It was another swing, GRA, that Nano Explorer one I was playing. And I bought it at like 360. And then it started spiking up. It like it just like took off over like two days. It went out like way up over four dollars. And then the next day it was like up over four fifty. And I was like, I'm looking at. It, I'm like, that's a pretty big move. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna put some sell between like, like four seventy and like four eighty three. I was like, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm thinking that's gonna be the top. And the I think the top was like four eighty four. So I got, <laughs> so I got all, all my sells out within a penny of the top. <laughs> wow, that's like yeah, that was all. Like I'm guessing you didn't even draw any lines. You just no, no, I just like looking at it. I was like, because like I'm, I'm like that's the price that I always play, right? I always play stocks usually that are like less than five bucks. So like I don't know, I just like you see it enough times, and like I just look. I'm like, all right, it moved this far yesterday. It kind of feels like it's gonna go maybe that far tomorrow, and then you just like put some sells in, right? But that's like I, I hear people talk about that all the time. They're like, yeah, you know, there's like a level of research and technical analysis and fundamental analysis, and then there's then there's intuition, which is just really after you've seen things a thousand times over, you just kind of, you know, you kind of get to that point, but like intuition, it's not something that's going to be like, you know, Oh, I'm going to make a hundred percent on this stock because I have really good intuition. It's like, no, you're going to, all you're going to do is probably get your entries within, you know, a few cents better than you would have previously. Like it's not, it's not a life changing thing. Like everything you need to know, you can learn from fundamentals and technical. Yeah, I think it's like if you watch football, you're just calling an audible. You right? You're watching things play out. You're like, ah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna adjust on the fly because I've seen yeah. this before. Yeah, exactly. It's like if I, if I think something's gonna go to five dollars, I'll be like, four ninety four kind of feels better. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, a, I got a good story about that. Have you ever heard of a guy named Jim Simmons? Uh, no, I haven't actually. So he's the boogeyman of the hedge fund investment industry. Okay. So supposedly he's actually the most successful 
hedge fund uh, manager of all time. But it, but you, but it's, but they can't be, they can't prove it. They can't prove his returns because he refuses to somehow something about like something about he refuses to show his trades, and so because it can't be verified, he can't, he doesn't qualify for the list. Okay. But, but his returns are still undeniable. Like his returns are so good to the point where his fund is closed. It's only to him, employees, and a few insiders. Nobody could, you can't even buy your way into that thing. Okay. So like, cause for a while there, people were calling him a Ponzi scheme, but Ponzi schemes don't work when there's no new buyers. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly not a Ponzi scheme. So what happened was he was actually a mathematician and then he got bored of math. So he decided to go into stock trading. Uh, sorry, before that. So he, he was a mathematician. Then he got a job for the CIA breaking code during World War II. And then after that, and then he said something anti-American or anti-war. So they fired him. <laughs> of course. So then, uh, so then, so then he he decided to go into. I can do a mathematical formula that could predict this shit, right? right. So then, so he, so he so he started working on algorithms, and he was like one of the first algorithmic traders. Uh-huh. Um, and then so now, like, so apparently his his algorithm for his fund only works if the fund is trading in and out of positions of a certain size, and that's why he's got to cap the size of the fund because it no longer works if you have too much money to play with. Right. But so, I, but I read this guy's bio, and it's like a couple of his early successes had nothing to do with with uh, his um, had nothing to do with his algorithm. It was, in, it was intuition. Oh, yeah. So, so one of his fir- first uh, partners, it was like, it was the seventies. It was the gold rush. So they were playing um, they were playing gold. So they started buying gold, and then gold prices started going up and going up, going up. And then one day, he went into the office and he just screamed at his partner. He's like, "I know you love gold, but you're going to sell." The partner's like, "No." He's like fuck you, sell the gold right the fuck now. This is my company. Yeah. Within a day of selling the gold, the thing tanked. Really? And it was it was all based on one phone call, one random phone. He was at home. He wasn't even in the office. He was talking to his lawyer or something, and he was just asking about the lawyer's wife. And the lawyer's wife's like, yeah, she's uh, she's not home. She's selling her necklace. He's like, oh, are you guys in trouble? You, you're having hard times. Why is she selling her necklace? He's like, no, gold prices are high. She's, she's pawning her, her necklace right now. And from that one conversation, he's like, "Holy shit! If it's gotten to if it, if it gotten to this point of mania, then maybe it's it's, it's the blow off top is, is soon." So he rushed to the office, like, "Sell all the fucking gold we have." That's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. When, when you're right with stuff like that, it's so satisfying. Like it's the best feeling. <laughs> just nail it. Right. Like especially when everybody's like against you, and you're just like, "No, this is you know." Yeah, yeah, it's the best. Like I love it. Like even you know, even though like. For my trades and stuff like when they still work out everything's great or whatever but like if i have those ones where i'm looking at it and I, like i just have this feeling it's going to go to a certain level that might be a little outside where i really wanted to draw my lines or whatever and it hits it perfectly in tanks i'm just like even if i don't make that much money i just feel so good about it because i'm like oh yeah that's just like i felt that one <laughs> yeah because i think like the big wins in the market like yeah you know if you're a momentum trader it's good to get behind the momentum but like the other thing about traders is like i think by, na- by nature, we all kind of um, contrarian. If, if the herd is going one direction, we're all kind of looking at the other direction going, you know, when's this thing going to turn? Yeah. But you have to be, right. you have to kind of be an idiot not to, right? Especially like the smaller cap stuff. Like, you know, you're looking at something and it's, say it's a big long play or something like that. And it's, you know, it's closed at a dollar and then it opens at $5. Now it's at $15 intraday. Like everybody's pushing this thing up. But like, if you're not thinking in the back of your head, okay. Any second, this thing could just tank like $5 in literally five seconds. Like you got to always kind of be 
watching out for that, right? Like, I, I, I remember I saw one guy, and it was like, I felt so bad for him because I've been following him for a while. He's a younger guy, but he, um, he was trading a stock like that, and the stock, he didn't put a hard stop in for whatever reason. The stock was like, it was at like seven bucks or eight bucks or something like that. It was up from like 50 cents the day before. So it was like a huge move, really low float. And then it ended up tanking. Like I was watching it. It was literally, I think like two or three seconds. It tanked from like $8 down to like 620 and then halted. And then he was caught in the hall and he was long in like the sevens. And then it opened at like, I think like $4 or something like that. So he lost like 25 or 30 grand in like five minutes and he couldn't do it like, well, basically seconds. So he's just like, he was posting it. I felt so bad for him, but like, it's that's that's one of those things that you know back to your original point where you always got to be kind of contrarian i mean you know even even me like you know when i'm in a position i'm never that married to the position i'm never i have conviction generally but i'm not over convicted to the point where like if it goes through where i'm in i'm like ah you know like i know that this thing's going to go down because you know i'm the best so i'm just going to keep adding higher like no if it if it does something else I'm like oh shit well i was wrong oh well <laughs> you know you got to be able to be wrong right away otherwise you're just gonna you know anytime you try and get egotistical or think that you're right and be like no like the fundamentals say this or no like there's no way like okay it's only gonna go a little bit higher but like i've seen this it has to do this it's you know that's when you get into trouble so you always got to be you got to be contrarian to the point where you got to be able to cut your losses really quickly and not be too married to anything especially in what i do i mean you know it's different for long-term investing if you have a really good company but the stuff that I do, you can move against you so fast and you, you got to be ready to cut it. <laughs> no, even investing. Uh, I, I can't remember if I told you, but like I was showing the chart to somebody. Um, you ever look at charts and log or just linear? Um, yeah, some of the uh, some of the charts I look at, like not on um, not when I'm trading or anything like that, but like I'm looking at stuff just on the, you know, the night after on like stockcharts.com or big charts or something like that. I'll look at it in log sometimes. I don't I don't use that to to analyze it's more so just if stuff runs like way up it just lets me see you know levels from way yeah. back so i'm not just looking at this one giant candle that doesn't have any references at least i can kind of see more of the history for some of the levels yeah yeah for, for people that don't know like linear so if like it's if, if, if a stock went from a dollar to ten dollars and ten dollars to twenty dollars it shows it as ten dollar move so that it looks like it's equal but when your yeah. log chart uh, like a dollar to ten is like huge and like 10 to 20 is like nothing, right? Yeah. So it shows like, it graphs the percentage moves. And so like, I am, I, I started to look at all my charts and like, I just kind of now. And then what happened was I was looking at Tesla the other day or a couple weeks ago, and it was forming this giant, massive rising wedge on the log chart. You could only see it on the log chart. And I yeah. nearly had a stroke because I <laughs> trade those things. I, I, tr I trade those things hard in Bitcoin. That's like, that's when you want to short, right? So then I kept looking at the fundamentals. I'm like, nothing's, and this was two weeks ago. So before the whole bond scare, I'm like, nothing's telling me this thing's going to go down, but I'm, I'm looking right at this freaking thing, right? Yeah. So then I literally, that same night, I panic sold uh, $12,000 worth of Tesla. Yeah. And then as the week played out, it's trading within that, you know, 860, whatever, 800, 860 range, right? I'm like, fuck. So I sold another like $6,000 worth of Tesla. And then, and then, and then, like as it's getting towards the edge of the wedge, I'm like, am I wrong? Because it doesn't look like it's gonna drop. And then right this past week, you see like, dang, 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 just yeah, drop right into the low six hundreds. Yeah, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting because I never even thought to. Have you ever done that before, or you just like randomly decided to? 
that, so I usually look at uh, Tesla and log, but I, but I, but I, but I almost never chart Tesla because it's like an investment, right? I was just like, oh, yeah. just buy and hold, just buy and hold. But just because recently I started with the TSFA, I was like, let me do a little swing trading with it. So then, so then I was just bored one night. I'm just studying because when I'm bored, I'm just always studying charts. Yeah. So I just so I started like looking at Tesla's history in the last couple of years, and I was looking at this thing. It's going, wait a minute. So I started drawing a triangle. I was like, oh dear God. <laughs> I can just see you sitting there like at one o'clock in the morning, just having a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. And then the thing is, if you graph uh, the S&P 500, it's got the same wedge. It's actually oh, really? On the log chart? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I'm looking yeah. at that. So like the, I have one of those moments where I'm like, the technicals are telling me this is ugly, but nothing's happening in the news. Like, yeah. it's just one of those freaky things. I wonder how, I wonder how valid that would be, though, on the log chart, because I'm just wondering how many traders actually use that. Like, like the trader patterns, right? Because normally it's like the more apparent a pattern is, the more it's going to work, right? Because everybody's seeing it. So everybody's going to do the same thing. But if you're getting something that's like really like not maybe not, I don't know, maybe a lot of people do. But I'd just be curious if that was just kind of a random fluke or if that's actually something that's worthwhile looking at on the regular. That's that's exactly what's going through my mind that whole night. I'm like, There's, how many people are actually looking at this shoot? Like, I bet you most yeah. people don't even log chart. I wouldn't think so. Maybe it's just something to keep an eye on and stuff that's moved like really, really far, like stuff that's just gone up like crazy over a long period of time. And then you can use that to kind of draw your lines. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is like those algorithmic traders. I mean, they may not be visualizing it, but their programs are probably noticing the, ex the extreme price moves and whatnot. So maybe yeah. they're, so maybe they're, you know, their programs understand what's going on without visualizing. But yeah. Yeah. So do you think yeah. it's, so do you think it's still going to come down further? Because that wedge looked like it could have come down to like 200. <laughs> Dude, according, according to that wedge, 289 bucks. So like that's why I'm still a yeah. little. little. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, I remember you said that to me and I looked at it and I'm like, I text you back. I'm like, uh, that looks like it's going to go down to the 200s to me then. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah I think it, it could. <laughs> <laughs> I know, so that's why I'm freaking out with this bond thing because I think that 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 could take it down that much, right? Because because tech stocks get sold off first. Yeah. <sighs> so the money's gonna leave the tech market and it's gonna go into like the Russell 1000, the real hardcore blue chips. Right, right. Really safe stocks. So I don't know. I don't know what to do right now. Yeah. Just wait and see. This week's gonna be crazy. I know. I'm, I hope. I just hope there's stuff going on this week. <laughs> I was bored all last week, man. <laughs> Yeah, what do you think is going to happen in pre-market tomorrow? Because like we already saw the news yesterday that the uh, Senate approved the 1.9 trillion. And yeah. This week, yeah. I think they're going to approve the. the house is going to... Was that on, was that on Friday that news came out? So it was supposed to happen on Friday. Ended up happening on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. So people will probably get excited. That is good though. I mean, like for the small cap stuff, like it'll be a lot more money in that. Hopefully, people keep playing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's like. So I think that's part of the what's playing into the bond thing. So the U.S. is going to approve 1.9 trillion this stimulus, but it's not over. There's no. there's a, there's there's another three billion talked about for the summer. Okay. And then so again that that goes back to their plan of trying to inflate, the, inflate away their debt because that three trillion is supposed to be for infrastructure. So that's like essentially like government employee uh, government right. programs. So like building bridges, roads, you know those things, kind of things, right? Right. So it's like. So I could see why bondholders aren't happy because they're like, just, you know, just devaluing what we're holding. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see though, because I think a lot of people that like been trading like all the well simple Robinhood guys who really got into it last year. I think last week, you know, the past couple of weeks really was their first like real scare they got because all that you know just buy anything that's moving thing stopped working very quickly <laughs> within basically a day. So I think a lot yeah. of people are kind of like, oh, I didn't know this could happen. And a lot of people well, are probably a little more wary now. Didn't it start last week though? So the, or the week before? So we had like the coming out of the long weekend. It's like a week and a half. It was like it was like mid two weeks ago when it like when I noticed it slow right down because last week I only made one trade and then two weeks ago I think I made two or three and they weren't even that exciting. Yeah, so it's like coming out of the long weekend where four straight days of slow bleeding and then just last week we just had like two two or three giant like down days. Yeah, that's what it was. It was a short week because usually when you get a short week, everyone's really really excited. Because they're like, oh, I only got four days. I got to make all my money. I usually do in five and four days. So on shorter weeks, usually I have like a ton of action. That's why I was kind of surprised that I only I didn't see very much stuff at all. It was weird. I was like, oh, I guess a lot of people are kind of scared. And then the following week, there was like literally nothing. Yeah. So actually, because of this thing, I started um, putting on a few few things in my watch list. So they're the, uh, you, you know, the VIX, right? The volatility index to yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's ones for bonds too. So I put one for like the... I think the five year or the 10 year i put a couple of those in my watch list now too so so, oh, those okay. play in, so those play inversely with the markets right so when i see start seeing that shit going up my spidey sense is going to start going yeah something. <laughs> yeah i tried trading some of those for a while i can't remember them all there's like the qqq the spy the vix uvxy is one that like kind of run inverse of it and then there's uh like jg something or other there's a bunch of indexes that are like you know three times bear to the spy or you know, yeah. three times bull to the spy or whatever, and they all just kept, they're all like in the $30 range or whatever. You can trade that. I tried trading those a few times, but it was above my pay grade. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the, those are madness. I, I think, I think, I don't know who trades those things, but it's madness. Yeah. So I think it's kind of leverage too. That, uh, that just trade the ETFs, trade those things. Like they all just trade them, they trade them all together. Like if you're, you know, oh. if you're an ETF trader, you probably just trade all those things just in varying amounts, right? Oh, okay. I can, okay. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, because I was yeah. I was listening to uh, an interview with um, a guy, and he was talking about how that's like that's how his fund kind of moves things around. Like when the markets are going crazy and stuff, like they'll trade stocks for a little while, and then when they start going nuts, he's like, "Yeah, then we'll trade you know the spy, UVXY, like QQQ, the Dow, like all these kind of things." So I think it's, I mean, he's a fund, and that's he directs all his traders to do that when the markets are crazy. Wow, this this like the more I learn about. Like trading, the more I realize it's not like uh, just 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 black and white. You know, just a couple of traders or some hedge funds. Like this market's gigantic. There's so many strategies and there's like a ton of players. Like yeah, and it's growing so. Like there's, I bet you now there's probably like a hundred times more ways to play the markets than there was even like 20 years ago, just because of how many more people are trading them. Like it's it's insane. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 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 this past week, there's a guy who. Well, this past month, there's a guy named Michael Saylor. He's the one who put his company's treasuries into Bitcoin. Mm. And then like a week ago, he announced that he raised $1.3 billion. Like he sold bonds for, um, he, he sold convertible bonds of his company for a billion three mm. that had zero interest yielding on there. And then the only, the only catch was that if his stock went up above a certain price, the buyer of the bond could redeem 50% of the bond for equity in his company. Okay. Right. But then I'm thinking about it, I'm like, who the hell would buy a bond that yielded 0% interest? Like you, you must really 
like what the hell right yeah so he was in an interview he, that bond so that offering started out at 700 million and ended up being 1.3 billion it was oversubscribed and i'm like how is there so much demand mm. well he was saying there are tons of just strictly bond traders and bond managers out there that actually like bitcoin but because they can only trade bonds they can't they can't participate so when he issued bonds convertible bonds to his company they can now participate okay so then so then there's a lot of demand out there for for this stuff and i was like wow i didn't know bonds is a big thing like i, I just knew equity I just heard this yeah. thing bonds in the side of my ear and i just kind of ignored it but yeah, I knew those guys. That, that was the first thought that came into my head when you said zero percent. Who would buy it? Is people that just trade it, like that, just you know, swing trade bond prices, right? Yeah. Well, but now it turns out like it's because they want exposure to Bitcoin, but because well, their their fund is set up, they can't. But then mm -hmm. because he he's offering bonds, like that's exactly their wheelhouse. Okay. So so that's why he's oversubscribed. He got one point three billion, and he says he's going to continue trying to raise buy more. Right, because then he knows he can get his people into making money in Bitcoin and everything. Yeah, he's like, like the way he he described. So, so he's a little bit insane, but the way he describes Bitcoin, like he looks at labor, and he says, um, labor and money are like interchangeable. They're basically the same thing, right? You trade your time for money, and you yeah. trade money for time, right? <clears throat> he's like, so if you look at it from that perspective, what you want to do is find an asset that could basically store your time slash money throughout time throughout the passage of time that you can hand it out you can even hand it out throughout like gener like generational wealth right right and he's and he looks at bitcoin he's like this is the best thing i can think of that you could use that could withstand time that could mm -hmm. that could that you could pass off through time so it's like if you're if you look at a company it's like if i have 400 million dollars in my and real inflation is about 15 percent a year so that's print money printing and the price of things going up then I'm doing my shareholders a disservice because I'm working on, on this one end over here to generate revenue, the other hand over here, 15% of the value of money every year. Right. He's like, so I, what I'm doing is I'm going to put it into Bitcoin, this thing that's deflationary, and it works because he's cash flow positive, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put the wealth of the company in this deflationary asset, and as time goes on, I'm not only preserving wealth, I'm gaining wealth for my shareholders. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So, <clears throat> it's pretty w weird the way he describes it. it makes a lot of sense though i mean like i think at this point anybody that thinks it's you know garbage or whatever is just kind of ignorant <laughs> yeah because like I, it's like a lot of the smart people are have back in it and it's like well either either they're wrong and everybody else is wrong, kind of being a little bit ignorant yeah right yeah, I think it's just it's just a generational thing, to be honest. I mean, even JP Morgan, they're putting they're saying they're in dis discussions now about putting one percent of their clients' money into Bitcoin. And there's that article three years ago where they said, yeah. if any of our people put money in Bitcoin, they will be fired on the They'll spot. Be fired. I know, I know. Yeah. So so the other thing I heard about Bitcoin was that a, a lot of people a lot of funds have interest in it or institutions have interest in it, but they can't get into it because of because it's cheap. And I'm thinking, how is it cheap at whatever, right? And it's they're like saying it's because well, if you think about uh, larger pensions or like larger funds, they're not in the millions. They're some of them are in the hundreds of billions, but a lot of them are in the trillions, mm -hmm. right? So if you're a trillion dollar fund, if you even put 0.1 percent of your assets into Bitcoin today, you could potentially move the market. 
If you yeah. have to get out of that position, like that would suck, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was a liquidity issue, right? So it's like a lot of them are waiting for Bitcoin to grow to a certain size, and then they're going to start allocating some real money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you never want to get in that. If you get in that position, then it's like you said, if you try and sell, then you're you're selling yourself down to try and get out. Yeah. Which is exactly. really not fun. <laughs> exactly. So like, that's why I think fundamentals, understanding the fundamentals is important because now you're seeing like Bitcoin's down like 15,000 from its top like just a week ago. Yeah. And I was saying, um, I don't know if I told you earlier, the, da the data was showing a lot of people are starting to sell at a loss now. Right. It's mostly like the smaller retail traders. And it's like, they're freaking out because they don't know what's going on. The only information they have to go on is the price. Yeah. But it, again, it just comes back to, you know, you, like any, any investment, if you're putting your money into Bitcoin to invest it, which like I am and you are, like, I don't care what it does right this millisecond. I mean, I, that's, that's money that I've accepted is not going to be touched for X amount of years. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, it goes down. I go buy a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Like there is a point. There is a point where I'm going to sell though, because the interesting thing about Bitcoin is it follows this. There's a guy named plan B. Uh, he's a hedge fund guy, but he, he's kind of anonymous. He won't let people know who he is, but he's a Dutch hedge fund man, manager. And he came out with uh, a model about three years ago that was that was called the stock to flow model. And it basically ignores all technicals and fundamentals. It only looks at one thing, supply and demand. So it looks at the supply of Bitcoin and it calculates the value of the Bitcoin depending on the supply and it, and it matches it towards uh, at its price currently. And right. then for, for the last eight years, the stock to flow model has predicted uh, Bitcoin's price. It just hmm. kind of followed this trend. And what happens is I'm going to be in Bitcoin as an investor, but there is a portion that I am going to sell at uh, bull run because it's very clear what happens is so every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that's mine gets put in half. Okay. Get cut in half. And then, so what happens is for the following 18 months to 20 months that it gets cut in half is what the bull run is. Okay. And then what happens is once that run gets um, kind of loses steam, then you go into a bear cycle of, or bear market. Right. And so my, my plan is to kind of sell near the top. I don't have to time it perfectly, but it will be near the top and it just kind of like, you know, just kind of buy back at the bottom of the bear, bear market. Okay. That's Yeah, that makes sense. So how, how would that affect it then once they stop mining? Well, well so this is the interesting thing. Uh, right now, the miners are actually... 10% of the block rewards right now is actually from the fees, the transaction fees. Right. And so like it'll get, so people are questioning for a while. It's like, okay, if you're not getting Bitcoin, new Bitcoins as a, as a block reward, and it's only the fees, can the fees sustain uh, the miners, right? Mm. It was a question until now, but actually it can, because right now um, there's about 900 Bitcoin mined a day. There's about 120 to 140 a day in fees. So if you got rid of the 900 in terms of uh, block rewards, there's still quite a lot in fees. Mm -hmm. yeah, and then moved, yeah. And then following that, it's like, so a lot of the central banks are like, oh, Bitcoin's a failed currency. You can't use it as a currency, maybe a store of value. But it's like, that's actually true. It's, it's not a good currency, right? But what people are not understanding is like, well, neither is cash really, right? If you want to move large amounts of cash, what do we use? We use debit cards and credit cards, right? It's those right. second layer technologies. So right now, um, Michael Saylor said this, he's like, think about Square and PayPal accepting Bitcoin payments and merchants, right? So what you're going to do is effectively, you're not going to, the, the, the network is not going to survive off people transacting with each other. You're, me and you, we're going to transact with um, PayPal and Square, mm -hmm. right? 
and then once a day square will do a one settlement on on the bitcoin network network that's worth like 200 million dollars right and then so that's that's how the network's gonna keep going okay hmm. so it's just so it's just like all these major companies that's built bitcoin they're going to be the ones doing the, the major transactions paying the fees because it's like right now like a bitcoin fee is like about eleven dollars so you're not going to buy a five dollar coffee and pay eleven dollars in fees right right but a square will more than more than happy to pay that fee okay yeah so then you don't have to worry about it yeah yeah exactly so what 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 it's looking like it's turning out the hope is that bitcoin is just going to be a store of wealth and and what they call pristine collateral um so pristine collateral is like so let's say you want to borrow some money from the bank they're going to ask for collateral the home a car whatever it is right right, right. now the the problem with homes cars or even like a stockpile of gold is that you kind of have to take the person's word for what it's worth first of all um so like like so let's say you got some gold at home right and you use that as collateral the bank gives you whatever for your for your atv yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so what happens is the bank has to trust a that trust that you have the gold b you know send people to audit it once in a while like if you know so it's hard it's it's a hard thing to use as collateral right it's a little right. messy but Bitcoin, you can just look on a block explorer and audit a wallet instantly and say, yep, it's right there. Yeah, that's a good point too. Right. So in terms of value, it's undeniable. It doesn't get hacked. The value on there is what it is. It's like saying, oh, if I collateral, it's perfect. You can audit it from the click of your mouse in your home. You know exactly how much I have. You can verify the wallet. Like it, it's pristine. Yeah. Yeah, it's just going to eliminate a lot of that headache that you have to deal with trying to move big, big sums of money around. Yeah. So, like, the future is, like, going to be one such, like, a lot of banking and finance might might be built around Bitcoin as the collateral thing. So, you're going to be buying, you know, people are going to be issuing loans and collecting debt based off Bitcoin. Hmm. So, it's literally going to become what gold was, was, it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the idea because, like, gold is still so controlled by the states, right? The kind of... That whole thesis kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah, not only that, but people are like, oh, yeah, you can send gold. It's not real gold. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and you're still at the, it's called third party risk, right? Whoever you're buying that gold from, they're at risk of getting hacked. They're at risk of being dishonest. They're just a whole bunch of things, right? Right, right. Whereas Bitcoin is just like hands off. The network is the network. It's right there. You don't have to trust anybody. Just look, it works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Simplicity. Yeah. All right, man, you want to wrap it up here? I think we've yeah, let's wrap it up here. Yeah, cool. I'm good. I'm good. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for watching. Remember to like and subscribe. Leave some comments. We'll try and answer your questions, and uh, we'll see you next week.